This is Talking Animals on WMNF. I'm Duncan Strauss. My guest today is Captain Paul Watson, a legendary figure in the world of animal rights. Watson founded the Sea Shepherd Conservation Society, a direct action organization focused on marine conservation activism and anti-poaching efforts, perhaps widely known to many from the television series Whale Wars. In September, Watson announced he was leaving Sea Shepherd. Some would say he was ousted, unveiling a new organization, the Captain Paul Watson Foundation. The Watson Foundation has a ship, John Paul DeJoria II. A crew is coming together and a new campaign has been identified seeking to protect more than 150 endangered fin whales, which are targeted for killing this summer under a permit the Icelandic government has awarded to a veteran whale killer in defiance of the International Whaling Commission's ban on commercial whaling. Captain Watson will personally lead this campaign the first time he'll be openly on the seas in many years owing to international legal troubles, particularly Japan wanting Watson extradited for conspiracy to trespass on an illegal whaling ship. He still could be ensnared in these charges while overseeing the Finn Whale campaign. We'll hear about this forthcoming campaign, the new foundation, the circumstances revolving around the Sea Shepherd Conservation Society exit, and more when I speak with Captain Watson in a few moments here on Talking Animals on WMNF. First, a couple of programming notes. Exactly three weeks from today, on February 22nd, WNF's Winter Fund Drive begins in Talking Animals, raising money that morning. Fundraising across virtually all nonprofits has become more challenging. That's certainly true at WMF, so to improve our prospects of reaching our individual fundraising goals, we seek early pledges. If you're a fan of Talking Animals, the work we've been doing for nearly 20 years, like this interview today with Captain Paul Watson, please hit our tip jar today on WMNF.org. You just go to WMNF.org, find Talking Animals in the schedule, and on that page you can find the tip jar. And anything you can do to give us a head start would be much appreciated. Also, later in today's show, I'll be giving away a pair of tickets to National Geographic Live. Wild Hope with Amy Vitale at the Strath Center on February 21st. Photographer and filmmaker Amy Vitale shares her stories of the reintroduction of white rhinos and giant pandas into, back into the wild, as well as Kenya's first indigenous-owned and run elephant sanctuary. That'll be later in today's program. Probably hooked to name that animal tune. So if you email me now at dj at wnf.org that you'd like to go, I'll set you up with a pair of tickets. Also coming up later in today's program, I'll speak with Liz McCoy, Special Events Manager at the Humane Society of Tampa Bay, about Bark in the Park, their annual extravaganza, their major fundraiser for financing so much of the great work that they do. Bark in the Park happens this year on February 11th at Curtis Hicks and Waterfront Park. We'll hear more details about the event from Liz McCoy later in today's program. Right now, though, let's get caught up with Captain Watson with a reminder that I invite you to join the conversation by calling 813-239-9663, emailing dj at wmnf.org, or texting 813-433-0885. This is Captain Paul Watson back on Talking Animals on WMNF. Good morning, Captain Watson. Good morning. Thanks for joining us again on Talking Animals. Great to speak with you. Oh, my pleasure. 
So it's been more than uh, four years since we last spoke, and it feels like there is a lot of ground to cover. I mean, when we left off, there was, among other things, a period of exile in France, owing to not one but two red notices, which are kind of like an international arrest warrant. I think one issued by Costa Rica and the other by Japan. So we can pick up the narrative there or wherever you prefer. But in, in retrospect, I guess, kind of interested in light of what's happened how do you think relinquishing your Sea Shepherd duties or titles figure into kind of the more recent turn of events? Well, first of all, I should say that Costa Rica dropped their uh, charge against me when they had a change of government, which indicates how political it was. But uh, Japan still has me on a red notice uh, uh, saying that I, for conspiracy to trespass on a whaling ship. You know, the red notice is mainly for war criminals, serial killers, and major drug traffickers. I'm the only person in history to be put, given a red notice for conspiracy to trespass. So anyway, we're dealing with that. But uh, what over the last couple of years, Sea Shepherd got quite large, uh, thanks to, in part to whale wars. And uh, as a result, uh, you know, it got bigger and more bureaucratic. And uh, in June of this year, I was fully being marginalized, but in June of this year, uh, I was told that I was too confrontational and too controversial and they wanted to go in a different uh, direction, work with scientists, work with governments, and no longer do the kind of campaigns that, you know, we've been doing for 45 years. I said that uh, I couldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. So they told me, well, you're an employee. You do what you're told. I said, I don't think so. So um, I uh, resigned from Sea Shepherd USA, but I was still part of Sea Shepherd Global. But Sea uh, Shepherd USA had com covertly, without even my knowledge, uh, gotten trademarks around the world, and they threatened Global and told them to dismiss me from the board. So without a meeting, without a discussion, without a vote, I was informed by email that I was dismissed. So, um, you know, that's how I'm no longer with the organization I established in 1977. So, Captain Watson, let me ask you that, because that's kind of why I was asking about some of the things, the, the duties or even titles that you relinquished, because otherwise I'm sure... I'm not the only one wondering as you recount this uh, sort of sounds like quick overview of kind of what happened, how it was that they were actually in a position to say, hey, see you later, Captain Watson, you're no longer part of this. I mean, it seemed like if you were the founder and a board member and, and had these other positions that they would not be able to just summarily dismiss you. Well, in 2019, they told me that I should resign from the board because they couldn't get director's insurance because of my being on the red notice, but they assured me I would still be involved and in, in very much involved in decision-making. <clears throat> as it turns out, as soon as I was off the board, they began to pack the board with uh, people that uh, supported their position. Not a single board member on the Sea Shepherd U.S. board has ever been on a campaign. In fact, they weren't even Sea Shepherd people. Um, it was all taken over by this Florida property developer uh, named uh, Pritam Singh. And uh, so he packed the board and... Uh, it basically became in control of it. So Sea Shepherd's no longer doing the things that, uh, you know, you used to do. And the same with Sea Shepherd Global. The problem is they started to get into partnerships with governments in Africa to patrol their waters. And then it turns out the governments start telling us what to do, what we can do, what we can say, what we can't. And uh, in Mexico, an Operation Milagro, where I organized originally to protect the endangered vaquita, uh, the decision was to no longer pull and confiscate nets, which is the only thing that was actually protecting the vaquita. And as a result, um, you know, they still have their Operation Milagro campaign, but it basically sits there and watches everything and does nothing. And uh, I didn't set Sea Shepherd up to, uh, you know, to hang banners and to, and to monitor uh, problems. I, I set it up to intervene, to uh, intercept. But anyway, uh, on the positive side of this, um, <laughs> you know, I've uh, established the, the, Captain Paul Watson, excuse, the Captain Paul Watson Foundation, 
and I called it that because you know they can't take my own name away from me. Although yeah. they are, they, although they are trying to sue me right now, saying I don't have the right to use my own name because it's too closely related to Sea Shepherd and therefore represents unfair competition and whatever. But we're doing wow. that. But uh, we have acquired our, our ship, the uh, the John Paul De Joria, too, thanks to the generosity of John Paul De Joria. And um, that vessel is being outfitted, and our first campaign is going to be leaving in the beginning of June for Iceland. Iceland tends to kill up to 169 endangered fin whales, and we're going to do everything we can to, to stop them from, from doing that. And we're also going to be doing a television series similar to the Whale Wars thing. And I believe in 2024 we'll be returning to the Southern Ocean because I believe Japan has plans to uh, return to whaling. They've got two vessels down there doing non-lethal research, and they just finished building a $67 million factory, catch, uh, factory vessel. So uh, we, we want to be prepared for them to return to the Southern Ocean. There's a lot of other things to do in the Southern Ocean, like, for, you know, interfere with the uh, this incredible operation of what they call krill, <laughs> krill harvesting. What that means is taking millions of tons of plankton or krill from the ocean, and what they do is they convert it into a protein paste to feed to, um, you know, to cows and pigs on, in, in domestic salmon farms. And uh, But that's taking the literally taking the food out of the mouth of penguins and whales and, and all sorts of species down in the Southern Ocean. So it's going to have a, a, a completely a negative impact on, on marine ecosystems in the Southern Ocean. Yeah. Well, I want to find out a little more about some of the specifics about some of the things you've mentioned that the Captain Paul Watson Foundation oh. plans to do. But I, I guess I'm, I'm sure you don't want to belabor this too much just because it's probably a sore subject at this point. But I'm just curious, like... For example, this Pritam Singh that you mentioned, I mean, why are, uh, is, it, is it, I guess everything always comes back to money, so maybe this is already the answer to my question, but why would they uh, take these kind of measures and work with governments and uh, avoid direct action, all the things that sort of defined Sea Shepherd for, for decades? Was it strictly because this association with these governments had a payday for them in some form or another? Well, if you can't take the time to establish and build up an organization, the next best thing to do is to steal it. And, yeah, if these governments uh, were complaining that uh, my history was a bit of an embarrassment for them because of our direct interventions, and I personally, I don't believe that Steve Shepard should be working with governments at all. I mean, we're a non-government organization. That means non-government. But as soon as we started getting into these partnerships with Mexico and uh, these African nations, those countries began to dictate to Sea Shepherd, what Sea Shepherd should and couldn't do, even to the color of the ship and what flags we fly. Uh, they don't like our Jolly Roger flag, so they replace that with a more, uh, you know, a uh, sort of a socially acceptable one of a, just a picture of a, uh, of a whale and a dolphin. Um, so they, uh, y- y- that was a real problem. They're getting too many complaints from, from governments, and uh, they said that uh, my particular, my history was uh, too controversial. In fact, on the Sea Shepherd uh, Facebook page, web, website, and everything, they were erased my picture, my bio, my history. It's like I, I never existed. Wow. You just wonder about the sweep and the scope of the, that action. I, mean, I understand what you're saying about, hey, if it's too hard to build a, uh, an organization yourself, just grab somebody else's. But the action that they've undertaken, and I guess with this, as you say, I guess packing the board, there, there was just no resistance because it seems like there would be other people long-standing Sea Shepherd folks that were around for most of your tenure uh, that would resist those kind of efforts unless it was all just the same kind of people that were Pritam Singh um, appointees. Well, all the board right now are either his friends or his employees. Uh, but we, um, 
you know, I'm focusing on the positive side, getting uh, the my foundation up and running, getting the ship, getting out there, saving whales. That was what I established Sea Shepherd to do. Yeah. So they grabbed the they grabbed the assets, they grabbed uh, you know the the membership list uh, and all of the other things. Uh, left us with nothing except one thing, and that is the motivation and the inspiration to continue doing what we're doing, what we have been doing for the last 45 years, and and we will continue to do so. And, uh, you know, what we have that they don't have is the, the passion, the imagination, and the courage to, uh, to do so. Although it seems, uh, you know, just a measure of how extreme their efforts have gotten, if they're actually trying to sue you from using your own name for a new organization that has no words shepherd or sea or anything, uh, you know, in the actual other organization's name, why, how they yeah, would... They told, they, told, they told me I couldn't use the Sea Shepherd name, fine. Yeah. They told me I couldn't use the logos that I designed, fine. But uh, now they're saying that I can't even use my own name because uh, it causes confusion within Sea Shepherd because my name's so closely related to Sea Shepherd that they're, the Sea Shepherd supporters uh, don't know what or are confused by that whole thing. Well, they have access to the Sea Shepherd uh, support list. I don't. But um, what they're, basically what they're trying to say is I don't have the right to use my own name. Yeah. And, of course, as you kind of rightly noted, you named the organization that partly because then there would be no risk of somebody usurping that, as it did happen with the Sea Shepherd thing. They couldn't take a, right. an organization that had you carried your own name, and yet here you are in some sort of legal entanglement about that very issue. Yeah. This is Talking Animals on WNF. I'm Duncan Strauss. If you just tuned in, my guest is Captain Paul Watson, as we're noting founded the Sea Shepherd Conservation Society, is no longer part of that, and has more recently launched a new organization, the Captain Paul Watson Foundation. They have a ship and uh, building a crew, and they have a uh, campaign on the horizon. So if you have a question for Captain Watson or would like to offer a comment, please call 813-239-9663, email dj at wmnf.org, or text 813-433-0885. So, Captain Watson, I mean, how would you describe the mission of the foundation? Like, in other words, what ways will the work of the foundation be similar to that that you had done for all those decades uh, with Sea Shepherd? And how, on the other hand, will the functioning of the foundation differ? It will be a continuation of everything that uh, we've done for the last uh, 45 years. Uh, I haven't changed. Uh, The people who took over Sea Shepherd have changed. So uh, really everything will be uh, going along the way it always has been. And our priorities will be to intervene against uh, illegal activities, uh, and especially I'm concentrating on on protecting the great whale. Uh, I said back in 1974 when I first got involved that my lifelong ambition would be to eradicate whaling. And uh, we've done a good job. Uh, Many countries have stopped whaling during that time, Australia, Chile, Peru, Spain, South Africa. Uh, but now whaling is uh, restricted to the territorial waters of Norway, Denmark, Japan, and uh, Iceland. So we're going to hit Iceland this summer, but uh, we do think that Japan will be returning to the Southern Ocean next year and we'll be ready for them then. I got you. All right, well, let's. Uh, we have a caller that wants to get involved in the conversation. Let's include them. Hi, you're on Talking Animals with Captain Paul Watson. Yeah, hello. Um, <clears throat> my monthly donation to Sea Shepherd didn't go through in the December um, cycle of my credit card, but it went through in the um, January uh, cycle of my credit card. What happened? Well, can I ask you a quick question before Captain Watson maybe tries to answer that? Yeah. Uh, It sounds like, by the nature of your question, that you still support 
Sea Shepherd with your monthly contribution, despite what Captain Watson has described as the significant changes that have been made, including he's no longer part of it. Yeah, yeah, I do. I support um, uh, Sea Shepherd, Greenpeace, and PETA. I see. Well, well, I think if you're supporting Sea Shepherd, you should take that question up with Sea Shepherd because I have no control over anything to do with Sea Shepherd anymore. You don't. Okay, no, I, missed the first, the first, the I missed the first 15 minutes of the show, so I'm going to have to go back and hear that. Okay, yeah, as I kind of alluded to, Captain Watson is no longer part of Sea Shepherd, has launched his own organization called the Captain Paul Watson Foundation. So that's why I was asking you if you still, in light of everything we had just talked about, oh, still okay. support Sea Shepherd, but it sounds like you missed the, all yeah, that conversation. Uh, and how do I get to uh, Watson's uh is it a website or what? How do I contact that? Yeah, it's the paulwatsonfoundation.org. paulwatsonfoundation.org. Okay, thank you. Yeah. All right, thanks for your call. So anyways, uh, back to the matters at, at hand, Captain Watson. So to do the work you most strongly identify with, battling whalers, as you've noted, uh, you've racked up quite a few victories, but it sounds like there's still some of the same old nemesis uh, around. You obviously need a ship, and now you have one. Uh, tell me a little bit about that ship, how it came together. Uh, John Paul de Joria uh, had a vessel called the John Paul de Joria with Sea Shepherd, and uh, they uh, scrapped that vessel without notifying him or me. And he called me up and said, well, what happened to the vessel? I said, they scrapped it. I don't know why. So he called them up, and uh, he, the uh, Sea Shepherd told him, well, it was getting old, so we decided to scrap it. And he said, well, why didn't you just give it to Paul? And they said, well, we offered it to him, but he, he turned it down. Well, that was an outright lie. So John Paul said, find me a boat and I'll buy it for you. And so we found him a boat, he bought it, and that's the uh, the vessel we have now. And it's a former uh, Scottish uh, fisheries uh, patrol vessel, fast and strong and ideal for our purposes. It's in England right now. So it's being kind of uh, outfitted or, or prepared for the yeah. uh, the campaign in the summer that you mentioned? Yeah, just dry docked, painted, and uh, fixed up and ready to go. So in terms of the crew uh, or other key members of the foundation, how many would you say moved over with you from Sea Shepherd or joined you subsequently? Well, we've had over 100 crew applications, and most of them are coming from veteran Sea Shepherd people, people who have sailed with us uh, before. So um, we're certainly not... Uh, hurting for getting people who are to be involved. Uh, we'll have a full crew. So I'm, I'm guessing that they were as mystified or, or outraged even by the actions that were taken as uh, as you... Well, a lot of them were had been marginalized uh, themselves from Sea Shepherd. And, uh, you know, Sea Shepherd has, um, you know, in the last few years gotten rid of a lot of people because uh, they're trying to go in this different direction, uh, a direction of, uh, you know, co- collaboration with... Uh, with uh, governments and corporations. One of my big concerns is that Sea Shepherd Australia is, uh, you know, in partnership with Austral Fisheries, which is a fishing industry, uh, a fishing corporation, and uh, they helped them get their tax status in Australia. They gave them donations. And uh, this is a a toothfish fishery, and that's an endangered species. But that company, Austral Fisheries, is 50% owned by a Japanese company, the same Japanese company that owned the whaling ship Sierra that I tracked down in 1979. So it's a bit of a slap in the face to me for them to uh, actually be working in partnership with the fishing industry, especially that one. And, uh, you know, and I was a director of Sea Shepherd Australia, and I kept asking them questions about this, and they refused to answer it. And then they threatened me with uh, 
they were going to dismiss me from the board of directors if I kept asking questions. So I just simply resigned and said, I, I can't have anything to do with uh, with you guys if you're going to be collaborating with a, with a fishing company. Jeez. Well, so much of the through line of, of the stories that we're sort of discussing this morning seems to be that people and or governments uh, or organizations otherwise, I guess for lack of a better phrase, gunning for you. And uh, it just seems like their efforts are to well, remove and or silence a, a veteran activist and, and provocateur. I mean, is, is there something else at work here, or is that, is that essentially what is going on? Well, that seems to be what's going on, but I'm not really deterred because I'm going to continue to do what I've always done. And they can take me to court if they want. Um, they can threaten me, whatever, but nothing's going to stop us from continuing to do what we've been doing. It's my lifelong work, and uh, they're not going to put an end to it. Yeah, so it seems like these so-called grievances these various folks or, or, or bodies have aren't really grievances. They're just, if we can get Paul out of the way, we can uh, further our alliances with governments, with other uh, uh, entities that uh, may serve us or, or pay us or whatever the case may be. And um, But under the guise of grievances, it sounds like. Yeah, I asked, uh, during the last year, actually, they been referring to me as uh, the Watson problem. They have to deal with the Watson problem. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, uh, they, they, they just literally came right out and said, you know, we can't work with these governments because you're too controversial and your history is too embarrassing. I don't know why it's embarrassing. Uh, you know, that's what we did. But apparently uh, what we've done in the past is now considered to be an embarrassment to the organization now. So that could be the, the, the name of another ship is the Watson problem. I like that. So... <laughs> Now, in the introduction to the topic, show, I noted you, and, and you kind of mentioned this as well, and the foundation do have a campaign plan for the summer. To me, that's notable for a few reasons, one of which is that I think this is the first time you've been sort of out on the, the high seas in, in recent years, kind of out in the open. Is it personally risky, as it seems for you, to lead this campaign, given the other sort of legal or international uh, troubles that are still hovering? Well, Japan does have an extradition request, but the U.S. doesn't honor that because they don't recognize it. France doesn't honor it. But, you know, there is the possibility if I go to a country, they could detain me and possibly extradite me to Japan. <clears throat> I don't think Japan really wants to extradite me. I think they like having me on the red mess, uh, notice to, to inconvenience me. But they don't really have much of a case uh, uh, against me. To, I mean, conspiracy to trespass on a whaling ship. I mean, how do you even go about prosecuting something like that? Yeah. Except in and, you know, if you get arrested in Japan, I think they have a 98% of conviction rate, no matter what you do. Wow. So, so it sounds like you're not really all that concerned about leading this campaign or just otherwise going about your business, despite this. Well, I am concerned, but, you know, you have to take risks in this life. And, yeah. Uh, the, risks, the risks are worth taking. You know, you can't be, uh, allow people to uh, prevent you from doing anything because of threats of being arrested or threats of being killed, even. You know, you just have to get out there and do the job. And sometimes you got to go into these things that even knowing there's no way out. And miraculously, I found over the years that we always find a way out. So basically, you're not unconcerned, but you're, you're certainly not you're not, not going to let it stop you. Well, it's not going to stop me, no. Yeah. I mean, I've been doing this all my life. I'm not going to stop now. Right. I got you. Let's take another call. Hi, you're on t Talking Ends with Captain Paul Watson. Hi. I was going to uh, ask Captain Watson um, about his resiliency over the years with dealing um, with the impacts of 
all these obstacles thrown in your path and you still continue on. And I have a great admiration for that. And you did briefly touch on that while I was holding. And um, that resiliency and that strength can to continue um, is admirable. And I'd just like for you to talk about that, if you could, briefly. Okay, Captain Watson. Yeah, we have an obligation and responsibility to do everything to protect life on this planet. And uh, I particularly believe that um, if the ocean dies, we all die. And uh, what I mean by that is that that the ocean is the life support system of, of the planet. You know, since 1950, that was the year I was born, there's been a 40% diminishment in phytoplankton population in the sea. Phytoplankton, these microscopic plants actually, provide up to or produce up to 70% of the oxygen in the air we breathe and sequester enormous amounts of carbon dioxide. If phytoplankton disappears from the ocean, the ocean dies, and if the ocean dies, we die. It's yep. as simple as that. So this is yep. really a, trying to protect uh, humanity from ourselves and uh, because we, we're going in there and we're exploiting life in the ocean like uh, it, it's, a fi- uh, it's an infinite sort of thing, and it isn't. And there's only so many fish in the sea, and every single fishery, fishery in the world today is, is in a state of collapse. There's no such thing as sustainable fishery. There's too many people consuming too much. And um, all of these things are interconnected. You know, my, I've always been guided by the three laws of ecology. First, the law of diversity, that the strength of an ecosystem is dependent upon diversity within it. The second, the law of interdependence, that all species within an ecosystem need each other or are interdependent with each other. And the third is the law of finite resources, that there's a limit to growth and a limit to carrying capacity. And when one species steals the carrying capacity of other species, that causes diminishment in both diversity and interdependence. And that leads directly to ecological collapse and a catastrophe. It's not, not too bright a future for us if we continue to do that. We have to protect all of these species because they're all really important. You know, a couple of years ago, Brett Hume from Fox News called me up and he said, did you say that worms, trees, bees, and fish were more important than people? I said, yeah, I think I did say that. He said, how could you say something so outrageous? I said, well, because they're more important than people. Because they can live here yeah. without us, but we can't live here without them. We need them. They don't need us. So that makes them ecologically far more important yeah. than we are. Yeah. Um, I, I, I was kind of thinking, I mean, I do appreciate your answers, and I agree 100%. I just wanted to, um, so personal resiliency, like, are those um, what you carry with you every day to, to get you through difficult times? Um what has happened over the last year or so, and then not being able to come to the U.S. without extradition, holding those principles true, that has helped you to sort of keep persevering forward personally. Well, many years ago, I learned a very valuable, you know, I was a a medic, a volunteer medic for the American Indian Movement during the occupation of Wounded Knee in South Dakota, and that was 1973. And uh, we were overwhelmed. We were being shot at. Two people were killed. 46 were wounded. And I went to the leader of the American Indian Movement, Russell Means, and I said to him, we don't have any hope of winning here. We're hopelessly outnumbered. It's, the odds against us are overwhelming. So what are we doing here? And he told me something which has stayed with me for the rest of my life. He said, well, we're not concerned about the odds against us, and we're not concerned about winning or losing. We're here because this is the right place to be, the right thing to do, and the right time to do it. And he said, don't worry about the future. Focus on the present. The present defines the future. Your power is in the present. It is not in the future. 
So that's why I don't get pessimistic or, you know, depressed about it, because I know that what I do every day in the present will define what the future will be, and I can't worry about that. I can only focus on protecting as many uh, whales, fish, and sharks, and turtles, and whatever as I possibly can, you know, doing what I can with the power I have in the present. And uh, nice. that's what keeps me going. Thank you. Okay. Thank you for sharing that. Yes, I have followed Sea uh, Shepherd through the years, and um, I admire everyone's uh, uh, courage and their uh, the goals that they're aiming for. Um, it's hard to compete with uh, society on preservation because most people can't. They don't understand the question of you mean worms are more important than people. So okay, thank you so I much guess. for your call. We do have to kind of keep moving. We've got other yeah, questions, no other emails or stuff. I appreciate your call so much. Thank you so much. So, uh, Captain Watson, um, one of the things that may be an offshoot of, of that caller's question is, I'm wondering to what extent do you still find this work exhilarating? I mean, obviously your passion and, and outrage over uh, the treatment of animals that you just noted in, in your recounting. To, to our caller there, uh, remains strong. But all these decades later, I mean, you would be excused for feeling a little bit uh, exhausted, a little bit tired, a little bit like, geez, what, what do I, I got to do here to, uh, to get these inroads you know, further in? Well, every whale's life saved, every turtle nest protected, uh, every shark that we prevent from being killed uh, gives me a lot of... Uh, uh, motivation and uh, a lot of joy. So that's what keeps me going, really, uh, making a difference. And uh, we do make a difference when we intervene and uh, and stop these illegal activities which are destroying so much life at sea. Yeah. Well, one of our emailers says, we are lifelong supporters of you and your work. Thank you for your continued commitment to the seas and the whales. And that's from Curtis. And uh, one email only just has... Uh, words in the subject line just says great guest duncan thank you so that's obviously a thank you to you captain watson and then uh it seemed like there was something another one here that we wanted to read well this includes kind of an inside reference but otherwise it still holds it says hi duncan i'm so so sorry to hear about the stupid politics slash money moves of sea shepherd sounds dangerously like what wmnf did to rob Loroy. that's a reference to a uh, founder of the station here that's no longer on the air, but um, just a thought. So, um, so Captain Watson, you made reference. I was going to ask you about this, and you already kind of answered it in your in earlier description of kind of what all is on tap for the Captain Paul Watson Foundation. Because I was curious when you look back on the Whale Wars experience, you know, what do you think? Was it a plus? Was it minuses? Was it both? But it sounds like overall, whatever your new project is, and that's what I'd like to hear about, you're you're inclined to get involved with another TV project now. Well, we live in a media culture, and I've always said that the most powerful weapon on the planet is the camera. And if it isn't on camera, it didn't happen. Uh, what we did with Whale Wars was to bring the reality of the illegal Japanese whaling into the living rooms of people all over the world. And uh, that was just as powerful a uh, um, a weapon to use against Japan is anything we're actually doing out on the high seas, uh, getting that information across. And uh, so, yeah, uh, film and TV are probably the, the powerful mediums where, you know, motion pictures, things like that. I mean, the recent uh, Avatar, for instance, is really an anti-whaling movie, uh, if you look at it. Uh, we co-produced the uh, film Sea Spiracy, and uh, because we got it on Netflix, we reached millions of people. So, Sometimes the media that you use is even more important than the message. 
But uh, so I've always believed and continue to believe that uh, we have to utilize those tools, those media tools, to educate people and to influence uh, both governments and, com- and corporations to change. So can you tell us a little bit more about what this TV project will be, where it might air, what the focus will be, what will uh, we can be on the lookout for? Well, we're just getting it together right now, but it'll be sort of like the Whale Wars approach was, and, uh, you know, to take the cameras into, uh, into battle, really. To uh, you know, into the confrontations, and uh, you know, focus on the men and women who are involved in those uh, confrontations and why they do it, how they do it, and um, yeah, so it'll be the same, similar to, to the Whale Wars shows. In Whale Wars, were there times where, because a certain kind of scene or footage or something was necessary, that you felt like you had to kind of force a certain thing or stage a certain thing that that wasn't necessarily happening, or at least happening the way it was portrayed? Um, oh, can you hear me now? I don't know if I'm muted by mistake or not, did I? Uh, no, I, I can repeat the question if you like. Okay. Uh, no, I heard you. Okay. Uh, no, what, Whale Wars was actually quite unique in that uh, the deal that we had with Animal Planet was they didn't write any script for us. They didn't tell us what to do, and we didn't tell them how to make their film. So uh, we did what we did, and they just recorded it. Okay, so there weren't any times over those years where it's like, okay, well, we really need this shot to create this thing that leave us as a cliffhanger for the next episode, or, you know, whatever. I'm just talking off the top of my head, but just things like that that you would think that a series like that would necessarily at times require just for continuity, for drama, for you know, interest of viewer, et cetera. Well, I think they tried to do that, but uh, I refused to go along with it. Uh, I said, well, we're, we'll do what we do, and you, you're here to record it, uh, but we're not going to make any decisions based on what you need to do for television. I mean, I guess if we, uh, you know, like Deadliest Kits, which is really all about fishing, they, you know, they had all the drama of drugs and alcohol and domestic violence or whatever. I mean, we didn't have any of that stuff. There was no drama in that respect. Yeah. So we, um, you know, we focused on the mission, and uh, they focused on uh, on taping it. Okay, that sounds good. So, if someone wants to be to volunteer, be part of your budding or operation, Neptune's Navy, I guess is what it's called. What does it take? What what's involved in joining your efforts at this point? <clears throat> uh, go to uh, you know paulwatsonfoundation.org, uh, dot org, uh, our website, and uh, or see us on socials and get involved that way. Um, people can get involved, you know, can apply to crew on the ships or also to um, be land supporters and do shore campaigns. Uh, there's all sorts of different ways of getting involved. And it sounds like there's been quite a bit of interest. I think you mentioned something like 100 and some odd folks have already applied, it sounds like, to be part of the crew. Yes, that's true. There is a lot of interest because, you know, people are aware of what we've been doing over the years. And um, so we're not just coming out of uh, from nowhere, really. <laughs> right. No, of course. And how, how many how many people are sort of return folks who were involved in your or more of your campaigns in the past that are saying, "Hey, I, I definitely feel strongly about this. I want to want to do this again." Uh, most of them, actually, yeah. Yeah. Veterans. Interesting. So, uh, if the Captain Paul Watson Foundation had uh, an effective, successful first year. What all would that look like to you? What, what 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 results might that yield after the first year or so? Well, first and foremost, if we can uh, stop them from killing any whales in Iceland, uh, that will be our, you know, the the first success. Yeah. And so that's what we're focused on right now is making sure that we can save as many whales as we possibly can from that quota. Uh, the fin whales are endangered. Uh, the killing of whales is illegal. There's a moratorium on commercial whaling uh, by the International Whaling Commission 
Iceland is in violation of that moratorium. So they're illegally taking whales. Um, back in 1986, uh, when they started doing this, uh, we actually sank half of their whaling fleet. So they only have two whaling boats left of the four. And uh, we, not, we sank the whaling ship and destroyed the whale processing plant and shut them down for 17 years. And uh, that might sound illegal, but I did, I did fly to, to Iceland and demand to be arrested. But they, uh, told, they uh, told me to leave the country. And the justice minister said in the parliament that he said, who does he think he is? He comes into our country and demands to be arrested. Get him out of here. The reason being is that they knew that to put me on trial would be to put themselves on trial for their illegal activities. And that's the last thing they wanted. It's kind of a wry reversal of things when you, when you kind of call their bluff, I guess. Yeah, because, you know, over the 45 years I've been doing this, we've never had a felony conviction. We've never injured anybody, certainly never killed anybody, but we've never injured anybody. And uh, the reason we haven't had a felony conviction is because uh, we, we oppose criminal operations. Uh, we've been taken to court a couple of times, but we've won. And, uh, you know, we'll continue to do that. You have to, you know, focus on the strategically on and operate within the boundaries of both the law and practicality. So where does that leave us then with this still pending red notice then? Just because that seems like one thing that's sort of hanging that could still uh, entangle you in, in kind of a, a larger mess, depending on what, how this plays out. Well, if I do get detained uh, by a country, then we'll have to fight it in that country and uh, might win, might, might lose, I don't know. But, you know, whatever the consequences are, it can't, be, it can't deter me from doing what I need to do. Yeah. Never has, really, right? Yeah. Yeah. No. Okay, right. now, you know, if I'm, if I'm ever brought back to Japan and put on trial for conspiracy to protect a whaling ship, I'm just going to say, well, I'm there to defend my clients, the whales, from your illegal activities and uh, do what you want to do. But uh, I'm not going to uh, I'm not going to break down and say, oh, please, please, please have mercy on me. No, we, what we did, we did because, you know, you people, what you're doing is illegal. Yeah. All right, Captain Watson. Well, we're just about at the end of our time. Anything else that we should know about the uh, Captain Paul Watson Foundation or anything else on the horizon that uh, that we should um, add before we uh, say goodbye for today? The issues that we're worried about and concerned about is the fact, you know, whales are dying on the New Jersey coast right now. One of the reasons for that is because they're building offshore windmills and they're driving piles into the ground with very high decibel levels. And I think that's the primary reason that's causing these whales to come ashore dead. Uh, the other things we're concerned about is plans to do um, ocean mining, which is the uh, taking of the manganese nodules from the bottom of the ocean, which is going to cause severe consequences ecologically. Uh, so humankind's uh, relentless uh, quest for minerals and, uh, and uh, profit and everything is really just causing so many consequences, bad negative ecological consequences around the world. And we can only take so much of that, you know. I always try to equate our planet to a spaceship, and that's what we are around this incredible voyage through space. And every spaceship has a life support system, and it provides us everything we need, the air we breathe, the food we eat, water, and all such things regulates climate and temperature. And that life support system is operated and maintained by a crew, a crew of engineers. And that's not us. We humans, we're passengers. We're having a wonderful time entertaining ourselves. But what we're doing, we're killing the engineers. We're killing off of the fishes and the trees and all of those species that run this planet. And there's only so many engineers you can kill before the machinery begins to break down. And when that machinery breaks down, that's not going to be a very pleasant future for us. So we have to protect the life support system, and we do that by protecting those species, those engineers that actually run and maintain it. 
All right. Well, that's uh, sort of the perfect, uh, maybe poetic uh, place at which to leave our conversation today. We've been speaking with Captain Paul Watson. Again, it's the Captain Paul Watson Foundation. The website is the paulwatsonfoundation.org where you can find out about their efforts, the campaign we discussed briefly, uh, how you can support their efforts, uh, how you can be become uh, or at least apply for part of the Neptune's uh, Navy and other information as well. So, Captain Watson, thank you once again for joining us today on Talking Animals, and good luck with their, your campaign there in June. Oh, thank you. Thank you. In a moment, we'll speak with Liz McCoy of the Humane Society of Tampa Bay about Bark in the Park, the organization's annual event coming up on February 11th at Curtis Hickson Waterfront Park. We'll have more details about Bark in the Park in just a few minutes. Right now, though, we're going to step into the comedy corner. This is Jim Gaffigan with a piece I'm calling A Good Dad. I rescued a dog in today's comedy corner. I'm talking animals on WMNF. Try to be a good dad. I got my kids a dog. I rescued a dog. Thank you. Thank you. I, well, it's not like the dog was drowning. The dog wasn't a victim of sex trafficking. I just went in a building, gave a guy money, and got a dog. That's how I rescued it. After that, I rescued a pizza. I actually, I had to wait to rescue the dog because the dog was in Jamaica. I don't know if it was on vacation. But I rescued a dog from paradise so it could live in my crowded New York City apartment. Sometimes I put the leash on the dog and it looks at me like, I used to run on the beach. And now I sleep in a cage. My only hope is that one day you'll get rescued. But rescue is the language of today, right? And we mean adoption. Now, people don't even say they own dogs. Now people say they're a dog parent. But I feel like dogs are different from kids. Like, you, you never hear a parent say, you know, my son had some behavior problems, so we gave him to a friend who had a farm upstate. <laughs> and we can run around and... We'll visit him on weekends. Jim, you're a monster. All right, that was Jim Gaffigan in today's Comedy Corner of the Peace I've called A Good Dad, I Rescued a Dog, taken from his album Noble Ape. Now it's time to talk with Liz McCoy of the Humane Society of Tampa Bay. And I so far have not been able to reach her, so I'm going to try one more time momentarily. We're sort of running out of time, but I'm going to try again so we can chat hopefully briefly about Bark in the Park. So I'll come back in just a moment, hopefully with Liz McCoy here on Talking Animals on WMNF. Thanks. Okay, so far, I'm sorry, there's no luck uh, reaching Liz McCoy. So I'm just going to give you a few basic details about... About Bark in the Park, it's uh, been around for more than 35 years, so most people, I think, are at least vaguely aware of the event. It's happening February 11th at Curtis Hickson Waterfront Park, and the time is from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m., and there's all kinds of cool activities. There's ways to sign up your dog and be part of a team that you can work individually. There's a number of ways, but it's basically a, a chance to fun- fundraise and donate to the Humane Society of Tampa Bay, who takes care of so many um, homeless uh, animals and provides medical veterinarian services to so many and this kind of helps underwrite their their efforts so um, 
But it's a big outdoor festival. There's all adoptable animals. There's activities for dogs. There's activities for humans. There's vendor booths. There's food trucks. There's drinks, music, etc. And you can go to the Humane Society Tampa Bay's website, or there's actually, if you search for Bark in the Park Tampa Bay, there's a dedicated website for that. So um, that can give you more details, the kind of which we would have discussed with Liz if we had had an opportunity. But anyways, great event that's coming up again on February 11th, Curtis Hickson, Waterfront Park, between 11 and 3 p.m. Meanwhile, coming up at D- on WMNF Music kicks back in with Scott Elliott from noon to 3 p.m. A glorious three hours of music, followed by Robin Hooper with another three hours of music. And we just keep the music coming as we roll back into uh, music and Latin programming later in today's schedule. Meanwhile, on this show at the moment is the prize for naming the animal tune. I'll be offering that pair of tickets to National Geographic Live, Wild Hope with Amy Vitale at the Strauss Center on February 21st. The first person who calls 813-239-9663 and correctly identifies this animal tune. Same animal tune on Talking Animals on WMNF. guest is probably off the air when we wrap up the show and you can give us a call then 813-239-9663 because we have just about reached the end of today's edition of Talking Animals on WMNF Tampa. I hope you'll join me next Wednesday for another edition of the show and I also invite you to visit TalkingAnimals.net for audio archives of every show we've ever broadcast off of Apple Podcasts are available too as well as on other podcast platforms. There are also links to our social media pages and you can also subscribe to our newsletter to find out about our guests a couple of days beforehand and other scintillating news from the Talking Animals world. That's all found at TalkingAnimals.net. I'm Duncan Strauss. Thanks very much for listening. Have a good week. Be kind to animals. Be kind to others. Be kind to yourself. And this is indeed Talking Animals on WMNF Tampa, Brandon, Clearwater, Largo, Wikiwachi, and beyond. Scott Elliott's coming up next with another great show. And uh, that's be after NPR News headlines coming up momentarily. And we'll see you next Wednesday here on Talking Animals on WMNF Tampa. Thanks so much.